Welcome to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change, the podcast where we come together as a community to share our stories and consider alternative perspectives on a wide range of topics. By sharing our stories, each and every one of us can help create the world we want to live in. Storytelling has the power to open minds, touch hearts, and inspire empathy and solidarity. It can move us to think and then act. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the faculty, staff, and student guests of each episode, but do not necessarily represent the views of Merrimack College. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Senoff, producer of Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change. If you listened to our previous episode, Dr. Deborah Michaels talked with Merrimack librarian Gabby Womack and graduate student Tiana Lawrence a little bit about Black History Month and uh, being that it is the month of February currently. Um, If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely give it a listen. Uh, They talked about the U.S. Census and how that impacted people of color starting in the 1930s. And there was a really good discussion about what it meant to pass back then, essentially, and the internalizing of Black history, uh, despite there being nothing that should be uh, or have to be internalized, because really you should unapologetically be whoever you are and want to be, especially if it's the color of your skin or the language you speak. But that's the whole point of this podcast and the whole mission of what we're here to do, actually. Um, We're here to share stories, share experiences, share information, and the hope is that we can all learn something or reach someone that is unaware of these things, these topics, these events. Um, And we're going to do that. So I am very honored uh, once again to be joined by Gabby Womack. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for having me again. No, of course. I'm also joined today by Dr. Shannon butler McCoro. Uh, hello, how are you? I'm well, Michael. Thank you for having me. And if you don't mind, could you actually talk a little bit about what it is that you do here at Merrimack? Yes, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Shannon butler McCoro, and I am the program coordinator and professor in Merrimack's new Master of Social Work program. So I'm building a new graduate social work program here at Merrimack. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm also joined today by three students. Uh, Kobina Apia and Derek Harris are both seniors here at Merrimack. And then I'm also joined by Jackson Fortune O'Brien, who is a freshman here at Merrimack. I'm also honored because he is actually one of my residents. So um, it's very good to have all three of you. Um, If you guys each want to take a turn and kind of just introduce yourself, introduce your major, uh, what you're involved in here on campus, and just a little bit about you. if we want to go Kobina, Derek, and Jackson. Yeah, I guess I can go first. Uh, so hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Kobina Apia. Uh, I'm, like you said, I'm a senior here at Merrimack. Uh, I'm, a commu- I'm a communication major with adult minor film studies and visual storytelling. So I'm heavily involved on campus. Like I am the current SGA publicist for the Student Government Association. Uh, and I'm the radio show host for WFCK. And also I work for the athletic communications assistant for the department. And uh, I'm very excited to, to be here talking about student leadership. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Derek, you wanna introduce yourself? Hello everyone, my name is Derek Harris. I am a dual major here, uh, electrical engineer, as well as a computer engineer. Uh, some things that I'm involved to, uh, with here at Mary Mac is I play varsity football. 
Um, I also started and founded the NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers here at Marymount College. And I am also a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Thank you. Awesome, thank you, Derek. And Jackson? Hi, my name is Jackson. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a freshman here at Merrimack studying criminology and criminal justice. Um, a couple of things that I'm involved in here at Merrimack. Um, I'm involved in the Austin Scholars. I'm a transition to Merrimack leader for the Austin Scholars. I play in the marching band. I run D1 uh, track and field here. I am also involved in the GSA club, the Active Minds Club, and the Athletic Diversity Committee. And next year, I will be an admissions ambassador, in RA, and currently I am in the Dean's Forum. Thank you. Probably easily one of the most involved freshmen right now. So um, I don't know how you do it, Jackson, but that's impressive. Um, thank you all for introducing yourselves. Um, we're just gonna get right into it. So last episode, we focused um, on the idea of being unapologetically black and owning your identity and being proud of it. Um, and this episode, I wanna discuss and have a conversation about how we can honor black history longer than just a month, um, but obviously make this a, a year thing and, and always, because you can't encapsulate the entire history um, into the shortest month of the year and move on. Um, but before we get into that, I wanna jump back a little bit and talk a little bit more about um, Black History Month itself. Um, how did it start? How did, how did February get picked? Um, and if Dr. Butler Macoro, if you'd like to explain a little bit more, um, and Gabby too, if you'd like to um, just, yeah, give us a little bit of the, the history of the history. Sure, absolutely. I'd love to get started and invite Gabby to jump in. Um, so one thing that maybe people may not know is that Black History Month is celebrated in a few other countries, um, the U.S., of course, which I'll start the conversation on but it is also um, celebrated and recognized in the United Kingdom, in Canada, and in Ireland. So here in the US, um, it started as a week in 1926 with um, Carter G. Woodson, who I kind of call the father of Black US history. If you don't know Carter G. Woodson, I invite you to look him up. He um, is a man of great talents. He is considered to be one of the um, well-known Black intellectuals of his era. So anyway, in 1926, he and um, an association called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History decided that the second week in February would be the time to um, honor and acknowledge and recognize um, Black History Week at the time, it was called Negro History Week. Um, last On the last podcast, Michael, you all said that you talked about the census. So if you've ever, if anyone has ever studied the census, they will know that the terminology used to describe and define African-Americans changed significantly over time. So in 1926, the term was Negro. So they decided that there would be Negro History Week um, the second week in February. And that um, week was celebrated for um, several different decades. And 
there was some um, debate and contention and of course some disgruntled people that didn't want to celebrate it. And then in 1970, um, there was a proposal from some black educators and the black student union at Kent State University that the whole month of February um, should be celebrated as Black History Month. If you don't know the history of Kent State University, Kent State University in the history of higher ed holds a very significant place. They have been a very uh, social activist, social justice type campus. They were unfortunate the site of a mass um, student shooting that was very tragic, but they've always been kind of on the cutting edge and ahead in higher education. So it's not surprising that um, in 1970, the students and educators there um, proposed and held the first celebration for Black History Month. And then that's just how it took off. Six years later, um, the other campuses began celebrating um, and doing <clears throat> all kinds of things similar to some of the things we're doing at Merrimack, showing films and having book readings and having guest speakers. Um, and then people outside of academia began to embrace the idea of um, Black History Month and celebrate it um, all across the country. I don't know if Gabby has stuff to add. Yeah, sure. Um, so something that is really important when thinking about Black History Month is that not every Black person in the U.S. especially uh, agrees with this idea. I mean, Shannon just mentioned um, that there was some there was some pushback, but the pushback wasn't only from uh, white folks who didn't want to celebrate it. This pushback was also uh, by uh, Black intellectuals, and this is because um, it comes across as a time to talk about Black history, but to confine it to the shortest month of the entire year. Um, people feel like this is kind of an insult. And so they're thinking, why do it just in, in February? This should be all year long where our history is a part of US history. And yes, Black history is American history. However, until that information that the history of these underrepresented groups are included, in the mainstream history of our country, it makes more sense to continue doing these history months, Black History Month or Latinx Heritage Month and such um, so that we can continue even pushing educators and people outside of education to add this to their curricula, to add this to um, the thought process about our history overall. So as a historian, I see Black History Month as a reminder and as the beginning not necessarily the end. So I would love to see these histories of underrepresented groups be included all year long, um, but also I know that eliminating this month would not get that to happen. So we use this month to push that out into the world basically. And, and also a lot of black folks see this as a, a celebration of blackness as a whole. Uh, this is our time to shine in a way, you know, it's, it's a celebration of survival and it's a celebration of uh, basically being our ancestors' wildest dreams. Yeah, and I like what you were talking about with um, curriculum too, and you know how while a month isn't enough, we still do you know need a month because it it, it pushes the idea that we still need it and that there needs to be more attention on this. Um, yeah, go go ahead. Um, I just wanted to add that. Um, 
in line with what Gabby is saying about celebrating beyond just the month of February, not just for Black history, but for all the cultures. Um, I just saw on television that there is going to be a series in March um, honoring um, Black history and Black culture. It's going to air every Tuesday during the month of March, which I think is lovely because it's expanding Black history into another month. Um, and I will look for that specific information so that you can share that out. Yeah, and, and you bring up, uh, March is actually, uh, um, yeah, March is Women's History Month. So, you know, it's like, why can't it be extended into March? Because, you know, women's history includes Black history and includes all this other history. So there's there's so much more to it than just February. There's there's so much to be celebrated and so much to, to recognize. But actually, and I was going to save this for later, but I think it would be a perfect time to segue it um, now, but sticking with the, the theme of extending Black history and actually having it be included with history in general um, is by teaching it with history curriculum um, because it's talked about so much. Um, but these history books that we have in the schools tells one side of the story um, when there is literally so many other sides to the story of history, but it tends to be taken from a very white, very... Um, heteronormative point of view. Um, so how are or what are some ways that our education system can diversify and decolonize curriculum in order to reflect actual history and not just one side of the issues and one side of history? Uh, Dr. Butler Makoro, would you like to add to this? Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> this is a topic that <clears throat> is always on my mind, not just this month, but all the time. I have a grade school child and a college age child. Um, and I always think about a few different things. Um, one, can we teach more than just Dr. Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks? Um, I love them and they're important figures. Um, but I also think that if we get stuck on just two of them, students aren't expanding their full knowledge of Black history and all of the things that um, go into Black history, which is part of why I wrote those two pieces for um, The Beacon. So I think going beyond those two people, um, incorporating Black history and the history of all the cultures really throughout the year, um, I think that there are lots of creative ways that teachers in K through 12 can do that. But I also think that in our college curriculum, um, just by doing things like having a common reading, everyone um, each year read this one book together and let's talk about it in our classes um, <clears throat> is one way to do it or a common film that we all watch um, that shows diverse perspectives of black history because there's a lot of, um, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to go off in all kinds of tangents. So Michael, you might have to reel me in. But like, I often think about what we present for Black history, and all the voices that we don't get to hear about, right? Like we know a lot about Martin Luther King, but do we know about Bayard Rustin? He's just as important. And do we know about all of the other people behind the scenes? So I think expanding who we talk about and who we teach about and how we do that um, is one important way to um, incorporate that into our curriculum. 
Yeah, I want to add to that. Um, I agree with Shannon. There are so many different ways to include uh, this history within the history curriculum we currently have. Um, so my background work has been on the history of race in the US. And the thing about history is that it is always intertwined. None of this stuff is happening in a vacuum. You know, so the French Revolution didn't happen by itself. It was influenced by the American Revolution. But guess what was also influenced by the French Revolution? <laughs> you have the Haitian Revolution. You know, so, but that's something that is often left out. Um, history shouldn't be taught as if these events just kind of happened. There should be context. And it just so turns out that a lot of the context has to do with the history of race, has to do with enslavement. It has to do with um, minorities. People, people who are from underrepresented groups are often put aside as if their history is not um, intertwined, is not, um, is not uh, connected to American history, which is very odd. It is American history. Um, you can't talk about let's say um, Abraham Lincoln without talking about the native people, his, his work um, against their land. There's also his connection to enslavement and trying to create an all black colony in um, Liberia. So he is often talked about in a vacuum and the same with George Washington and all of our, our leaders. So in order to diversify or decolonize the curriculum, we have to tell the whole story uh, rather than just one part of it. And the whole story means including everybody and the context that was actually involved. Um, during my time in high school, I found a flyer at my like cafeteria and it was for a black history um, camp. It was, specifically for elementary school students and they were looking for high school minorities to come and be uh, camp counselors. And at my time there, the, um, the director at the time was teaching the children uh, STEM, like there, she was teaching them science, technology, engineering and mathematical um, figures, black, historical figures and teaching them who created the microwave or the um or just just various things in the stem um you know program and i just thought that that was absolutely amazing and unfortunately it only lasted one summer because not a lot of parents heard about it and i feel like that should be pushed more in other states counties other towns and stuff because it's important to learn about the things that you know you don't normally learn about in um in your average history class so no yeah thank you for sharing that jackson um and yeah no actually this this transitions perfectly because um dr butler mccaro you actually wrote an article in the beacon um about the first in black sports and about how um there's these firsts and these historical moments um, but they're still happening today. And that's the crazy thing is that black history, you know, it didn't really stop with the Civil Rights Act. It didn't stop with all these other, you know, things in the past. It's, it's still an ongoing and will continue to be an ongoing thing, just as, as history is, is constantly changing and constantly um, evolving. Um, but I actually, I wanted to talk about these, these, these first and these historical moments that are still happening today. Um, and if, uh, 
Dr. Butler Macaro, if you could start us off and then we can uh, talk to our students and their experiences with being the first in, in their own um, regards. Absolutely. Um, first are very important to me for all kinds of reasons because of the fact that I think we often don't hear about those. And so Gabby was, um, no, Jackson was just saying, um, learning about um, the first black person to invent certain things. And sometimes we don't think about that. The other day I learned about the woman, a black woman who actually invented um, security systems that we use in our houses. I think Hidden Figures was another example of first, the first women and the first black women to work for NASA. And so first are really important. And so um, if you haven't seen the Beacon article, I'll just give you a quick summary. I just celebrated my first year anniversary at Merrimack College. Um, and I have a very young scholar athlete who's very excited for mommy to be working um, at a division one sports school. So in honor of that, and in recognition of Black History Month, I thought I would write a piece on um, the Black first um, in sports, because I think it's important to not only acknowledge those athletes that paved a way for those of us who came and played sports after them, but also to acknowledge that they there is a wide diversity <clears throat> in the types of sports that Black people play. And I kept the article brief, but you could go on um, and write a small book about all of the first and all of the sports that Black people play. Um, additionally, first are important to me for two more reasons that I will just talk about briefly. Um, I am the first woman of color to be a full professor and tenured at Merrimack College. And that is a really important distinction for me. Um, some alumni from Merrimack College have been reaching out to me on LinkedIn and on Facebook, and they've been finding my profile and they have been letting me know how excited they are that I am here and it, um, it's really emotional, but it has great meaning to me to be a first and to be a role model um, for women, for women of color, for all students of color, to be able to see me in the front of a classroom, although in non-COVID times, I'd stand in the middle of the classroom, but, you know, six feet apart, um, <laughs> and be, um, you know, discussing knowledge with them um, as kind of their, you know, de facto leader in the classroom. So first are important to me. Um, which is why, and this will probably lead into what um, Derek has to say. Um, when I was in college, I joined and pledged the first sorority, um, Black Greek letter organization founded for and by African-American women. Um, when colleges were first created, I think most people know that um, people of color were not allowed into those institutions. Um, Many churches and individual people then created historically Black colleges and universities. There are also tribal colleges that were created as well. And at many of those historically Black colleges and universities, um, <clears throat> men and women created Black Greek letter organizations, also known as fraternities and sororities. And so the first Black Greek letter sorority is Alpha Kappa Alpha 
Sorority Incorporated, founded in um, January of 1908 at Howard University. And so that's another first um, of which I'm a part of. And I think first are important because people look to those first institutions, those first sports models, those first people um, and model themselves after that. And then also look to build upon and grow from where those people are. I may be the first um, black tenured professor at Merrimack College, um, but I hope and pray that I won't be the last. And I hope that people who come after me do this better than I'm doing it um, so that there can be more people. And I hope that inspires people of the Latinx community and Asians and native people to earn their PhDs and become professors and be the first where they are. And before we have Derek talk, I actually want to get Kobina in here because he has to go in a little bit. But Kobina, can you can you talk about your leadership on campus and and you know kind of paralleling what what we've just heard? Yeah, I can I can definitely touch upon that. Um, you know, um, it, it's hard uh, to get your leadership out there in a way. Um, I, I think it's kind of like a bit of a challenge to for me for me personally. I was just want to like really get myself out there really try to get like heavily involved, like becoming, becoming known, becoming present. Uh, I mean, for me, um, my, my, um, my passion is uh, for uh, student government. So for, for me, for me coming into like Merrimack, like I, I was interested in student government. Um, I mean, back in high school, like I ran for a senior class president in high school. Uh, and unfortunately I was, I lost by one vote which is kind of which is kind of sad to me but which that's okay uh that kind of opened a door for me to like get get involved in that aspect so i so i came to merrimack you know and i joined student government uh as as a senator um because i i wasn't know i didn't know like if i was ever gonna get elected or not but uh, but now i am uh so like i've been a senator for like my first two years uh, in college uh trying to like uh, raise voice, or raise a voice uh, for for those uh, who are for uh, people of color and also for the community of Merrimack, um, and I and, and you know it's it's for me it's 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 a, it's a challenge um, because I want to like raise my voice uh, for those who may not be able to have uh, who may not be able to have that voice um, and so from and also like I um. I, uh, I, there, there was kind of like, I went through like a pivotal moment in my life, uh, for student government. So like, I decided to, um, run for, uh, the executive board. So, uh, I am, uh, so I ran for pulp assist, uh, which really the role wants, basically what the role is, is that I'm able to maintain communication between SGA and the student body. Uh, so since I am a communications major and uh, who has worked on uh, social media, uh, photos and the videos, like I have that experience. So I wanna be able to be transparent to the student body and also being more, be, be more as an advocate for uh, the Merrimack community. So I decided to run and I never knew this would happen to me. So like uh, I am the first um, African-American male to ever hold that position um, for the past, two terms actually so like, this is actually my second term uh, running for this position and i'm i'm very I'm, I'm very grateful to have this uh uh opportunity to um 
to help inspire and also even break in a barrier uh, for those uh, who who are able to have this type of opportunity. I mean, my fa- I mean, my family also is doing government as well. So like I, my sister, um, she graduated from the University of U- of Connecticut uh, back in 2019. And during her senior year, like, she became the first uh, African-American female to ever run or, or even be like student body president for during its like almost maybe hundred years. And it's, it's a, it's a barrier, you know, and same goes with my brother. Uh, my brother currently goes to Bryant university. Um, during his senior year, um, he became uh, the first person, first person of color to ever be student government treasurer. So um, it's, it, it's, it really runs in a family. Um, because we, for, for me, me, my brother and uh, my sister, uh, we wanted to um, be the uh, leaders that we can be. Uh, we want to be uh, the, pe- the people that will like advocate for our school communities. And so um, I think it's, it's very incredible uh, uh, opportunity to have. And I'm very, uh, so, so grateful. Um, even for, even for me, like going, coming into my last year, like it's, it's crazy. Uh, and, um, and this is something like, I'm definitely going to miss very much. Uh, and so that's, uh, my, my spiel, you know? <laughs> no, Kabino, thank you so much. And I, I know you got to run real quick, but, um, yeah, absolutely. thank you so much for sharing and being part of this and yeah, just, just telling your story. Thank you. No problem. And thank you for having me. It's, it's, a, it's an honor. No, absolutely. And, and before you go, do you want to plug your show real quick or plug anything that you're doing where, where people can find you and support you? Sure. So like I, I have a podcast and a radio show. So like my podcast is keeping things real, uh, basically, which is a, a, a podcast where I, I talk about film and, and television that make to help make a cultural impact. So I bring in like uh, my close friends at Merrimack, even like people who are film and TV interests. Um, I, I bring in people as much as I can to just talk about like their their interests and like what what movies they watch and stuff. And so, and also I also have a radio show on campus too. So like I'm the, uh, one of the two uh, uh, contemporary kids of comedy, which we, um, you know, we do a lot of comedic stuff. So definitely, definitely check that out. So I will, um, I, I don't know, I can, I can definitely, I can definitely put a link uh, in, in, the, in the chat so that you guys can have it. Uh, so you guys can definitely go follow and listen to it. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's really good. It's really good. I recommend any, I recommend anybody. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. No, thank you, Kobina. Um, and can I just jump in before Kobina leaves? Cause I know he has to go to class. One of the things that I didn't say earlier, and then I'll let um, my young frat brother Derek speak is as a professor and someone who is old enough to be all of their mamas. Um, I feel like the older generation needs to really step aside um, and let the younger generation come forward in these Black history moments. I think that they have a fresh and amazing new perspective on our culture's history. Um, And it just warms my heart so much to hear Kobina's story and about his family. I have nieces and nephews that age, children that age, I've already said that. And it's just amazing for me to see the next generation come along. And I hope that people can appreciate that um, folks may be young and maybe they don't have years of experience, but they have so much knowledge and so much new knowledge and fresh perspective that the way we celebrate our culture and our history um, should be handed off. It's time for us to 
let other people do that work. Yeah. Uh, Derek, you want to you wanna talk about your leadership and, and your experiences in, in this? Uh, yeah, I would um, definitely like to share that. Um, I know previously it was mentioned about some of the first, uh, and we spoke about some of the first in sports. Uh, a member of my fraternity actually uh, was the first Black um, NFL football coach, head football coach, who was Fritz Pollard. Um, just to throw that out there. Uh, but I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, which is the first um, uh, Black Greek lettered organization. It was founded in 1906. Uh, started a little bit um, before that in 1905. Uh, but just to give you some perspective about some of the people that's notable people that's in my, inside my fraternity, uh, we have people like like we was mentioned before, like Martin Luther King, who's actually a member of my chapter. Um, who was a member of my chapter. Uh, also, people like Charles Hamilton Houston, which is a name that isn't really mentioned a lot in Black history that I think should be mentioned more. Uh, he was the man who single-handedly destroyed Jim Crow laws, um, and he graduated from Harvard Law, who's also a member uh, within my chapter. Um, some of the different roles that I, I put myself into uh, being on the football team um, and having to go through a lot of uh, the different turmoil and troubles that uh, happened recently uh, in, 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 um, in the world with the George Floyd uh, killing and also uh, some of the other injustices that came about. Um, I felt that I had uh, a, a, a certain amount of pressure on my shoulders to speak up against um, some of these different things, whether it was meeting with our president, President Hopi, to speak up against some of these injustices uh, or speaking to my team to try to educate my team on some of the, the different uh, feelings and emotions that some of the players, their teammates may be feeling in these, uh, in these times. Um, another thing that I want to speak about briefly is um, the amount of pressure it, 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 I feel on a daily basis being a minority in a class where it's only two of us uh, in the engineering department. Um, it's a un, it's an undescribable amount of pressure to represent not only yourself and family, but to represent your whole entire race. Um, whenever you step into a classroom and you're about to take a test and you have that pressure that I am the representation of what a young black man will be perceived to be as an engineer uh, by my fellow peers um, is a, a pressure that. I deal with on a daily basis, even though that even though I'm a senior and I also have signed a, a job um, offer, I still feel that that pressure that I have to prove myself on a daily basis. Um, and that's something that will never go away, no matter how aware or how woke, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, we may say we are as a as a world or as a school. Um, it's some of those things where you feel imposter syndrome, which is something that I felt um, strongly coming into Merrimack because it was uh, coming from a low income background. Um, that imposter syndrome is like, uh, why am I in this class? Do I deserve to be here? Am I good enough to be here? Am I good enough to compete along uh, some of my peers? Uh, is another pressure that um, is, is added to um, us in the Black community. Uh, some things that 
it inspired me to want to start Nesby. Uh, I created uh, Nesby as along with uh, a few of my other roommates was the fact that uh, we didn't have a group. We it wasn't a group for um, minorities uh, within the STEM community. Uh, yes, there is the iTech, but the iTech um, was catered towards uh, just the general um, STEM program for everyone. But to create a club and a and a basically a family, I don't like to call Nesby a club. Is a family for us um, where. Whereas though we can catch, get dinner together, we can talk with another professor. That's a great professor, Ricky Caldwell. Um, he's an amazing guy. He actually helped me uh, get into Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated um, because I'm the first on my on my uh, college or well, at Marymount College to become a member, as well as one of my uh, uh, line brothers who goes here as well. Um, but we created this group so we can be able to support each other and make it through. Um, and we can be able to have a safe space to share some of our feelings uh, when it pertains being that person in the class where everyone looks over, like not expecting big things from. Um, and I, I, I do have to say, like, based off of our club success for in the last two years, all of us have jobs, all of us are doing well, and that support system is unmatched. Um, and I'm very happy to be a part of that. Out of all my accomplishments, I think creating Nesby was one of my biggest uh, accomplishments and being able to find that support system uh, within Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated was one of my biggest accomplishments um, because my first two years here at Marymount College, I did not feel welcome. I didn't feel like I was here. I felt like I was a number. I felt like an outcast. Even though I was a division one athlete, even though I was known on campus, I still felt like I was not welcomed on campus. Um, and it's for a number of different reasons, but now I'm starting to find a way to create my own space and to take up my room um, and to make my impact. So I'm happy to, to do some of the things that I've done so far on campus. Eric, thank you so much for sharing and being super open and honest. That That's incredible. Um, I do have one more question, though, because I mean, and I love it because I'm, I'm huge on community and I think everybody and anyone needs community, you know, and that's, that's, that's kind of how we work as, as humanity and as people. Um, do you have plans on making that uh, group into, or are there plans um, coming about to make it a living learning community? We've got the LLCs here on campus, like Honors and Austin Scholars, and they mm -hmm. have like the STEM ones. Um, are there plans to make that um, a living learning community so that they can both not only go to school and class together, but also be in the same dorm or same res hall, or is there anything like that in place? Um, at the at the moment, we have not really looked into that, um, but it's something that we won't be opposed to. Uh, the reason why we haven't looked into it is because our numbers isn't as high as we would like them to be. Uh, right now, we're trying to recruit like crazy to uh, make sure we maintain this club because it's a great club whether it's, you know, going to nationals and being able to go to a, um, a conference and having recruiters come there. And, and, and the thing is, if I can be pretty transparent here, um, it's, it's kind of a, a good thing, but at, at the same time, it's, it's not necessarily a good thing uh, when we go to these conferences, when you really think deeply. Um, these conferences, you have recruiters come in and they're looking for students, right? 
But they're coming to these uh, particularly conferences to meet quotas, in my opinion. They're coming to these conferences to just find the, the uh, uh, Black students that they that may be talented enough. And most of the students that are picked up are within the apex range. And apex is uh, basically saying that you're the top of your class. Um, and that's something that I've looked into uh, a lot uh, because understanding my GPA and understanding like my qualifications, I feel as though my qualifi qualifications and GPA is twice as better as some of my counterparts that was able to receive the job um, that I received. And I, and I, I also went through a, a lot strenuous uh, process. Um, and I'm not sure if I was just uh, given that job to meet a quota to for, for affirmative action. And that's something that I, I think about um, a lot is because um, uh, some some things that I think about a lot um, because when I really sit back um, and reflect on some of these companies and what they have done over the last couple of uh, what was a couple of months based off of some of the injustices that we that we've seen, um, I'm not impressed. And I can't say that I'm impressed with the company that I just signed with um, because it seems like it's disingenuous. That's a big word that I, uh, I like to use. Uh, it's one not a big word, but it's one of my favorite words I like to use uh, and and describing a lot of actions um, and, and reflecting on certain things that people do in my life uh, is disingenuousness. Um, and back to the whole Nesby thing. For Nesby, for me and the the rest of the founders, uh, as well as my like roommates that that weren't founders, it was a lot bigger than just finding the job. It was a lot bigger than just finding personal professional development. It was a it's a lot bigger than us just, um, you know, finding ways to advance ourselves. Nesby was all that we had at a point in time before I joined my organization. Uh, before I joined my fraternity. Nesby was my family. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I came up here uh, from Baltimore, Maryland and looks for a new home. Nesby created that for me. Um, and as we continue to grow, that's the aspect that I'm scared that we'll lose is the genuineness of Nesby. The genuineness that we set out to create a close-knit family that's not only there to get a job, that's not only there to develop professionally, but it's there to help and support each other and build each other up. Um, especially when you have a hard day, have a hard test, have whatever it is going home, whether I'm dealing with some issues back home or I'm dealing with some things personally, I know I can call on my e-board, I can call on you know members within Nesby to come in and, and, and lend an arm or shoulder or whatever to help me out. Um, and the whole learning living community idea is something that I think would definitely be um, on topic and it would be something that um, we will look into. Uh, but the, the, the other aspect of the politicals that come along when you're submitting a group and you got to have a certain amount of uh, members, and you have to have a certain amount of different things like quotas and stuff to meet. Uh, that aspect, we are not really in, in favor to, uh, how can I say this? We're, we're not, we don't, we don't care to meet those numbers, honestly. Um, we don't care to say, okay, we have 50 members. 
Like that's not what we care about because we will lose the authentic, the 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 um the the uh, genuineness of Nesby. We will lose the spirit of Nesby that we've created, and that's something that we want to keep. We want to make sure we can continue to have Nesby be that place for the young scared freshmen or the young uh, scared minority. We have we we have people that's not even engineers that's in the club that just want that family, someone to study with. Um, but yeah, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I will definitely bring that up with the e-board um, and see what they, their thoughts is. But once again, that's something that I'm sure we probably won't push for as heavy because we know that we'll have to, we'll be required to meet certain um, standards. Yeah, no, and it seems like you're creating and have created a genuine program. And I think that that's, that's the most important thing is, you know, not meeting those numbers, not meeting that quota, but actually creating something that is meaningful and has an impact on the members that are a part of it. Even if it's not that many or you're not hitting these, these crazy numbers that you need, but at least to those that you are reaching out to, it, it's making a difference and they, they feel that community. Um, Jackson, you want to add a little bit? You want to talk about uh, your experience, your leadership, how this has been for you on campus? Yeah, of course. Um, when I was touring Merrimack as a junior in high school, I did not see many people of color on campus. And I thought to myself, well, why would I go to a school that doesn't have much diversity? And um you know, diversity starts from within, like you have to be the diversity. So um, yeah, there's that. Um, and I mean, coming to Merrimack and being, you know, like the first um, black transgender uh, male on the track team, it was, a, it was a change because I had to uh, educate my coach and my teammates still to this day um, about, you know, my pronouns and like how I quote unquote live my life. Um, and it's, I, I don't really know how to put it into words. It's stressful and it's like very tiring, but at the same time, I feel like I'm doing justice to not only the black community, but to the LGBTQ community as well, because there is not a lot of information going around. And um, I, I just feel like by me being here and being the first Black transgender male that gives another sophomore or junior or freshman, you know, the opportunity to be like, hey, I can do that too, because he did it. Um, so I feel like my leadership in um, and everything that I do here gives another kid, you know, the perspective to be like, hey, I can do this too. Um, and, ooh, <laughs> um, well, wait, I'm so sorry. I just lost my thought process. <laughs> uh, being involved in like all the clubs and sports that I do here, um, I jumped on that really quickly because I'm the first uh, in my family to go to college. My mom never had the opportunity to, and uh, neither did my dad. So I have the, the eyes and the stress from them as well. Um, not only to 
keep my grades up and uh, go on to law school, which is what I want to do. Um, but also to keep up my athleticism, uh, make sure that like my name is heard through whatever grapevine that I could get it through. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's a lot of stress on a lot of black uh, college students, not just for themselves, but for their families, for their teammates, for their, um, for their classmates as well. And just being there for each other is, um, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, but I feel like if we just keep working together as a team, as a community, which is what I love the most about Merrimack, it doesn't really matter what your skin color is. You can go to the writing center. They'll help you out. You can go to your coach or professor. You can be in this podcast. Um, and you just have like a lot of support around you. But uh, I feel like more minorities and people of color should come to Merrimack, join the sports teams, join the clubs, get involved, um, and just be out there because nobody else is going to do it unless you do it. You have to, you have to make the diversity here. It's not just going to magically appear one year. Like, so um, that's like my experience here. I love it. And as the four years go on, I hope to get into the master's program here, go off to law school and be a criminal defense lawyer, uh, make my name heard through track, through the NEC, um, work my way up the ranks through Austin Scholars, hopefully to be on the e-board. Um, same as well for all my other clubs and the marching band here just to get involved. Um, so that's all I have. Um, so I wanted to touch something, touch upon something that you said, uh, Jackson, really quickly. Um, that pressure, I like, I, I really don't understand how to put it in words, uh, especially when you're first generation. Um, and like the pressure of community, the pressure of neighborhood. So it's not even just the pressure of, you know, having to represent for your race uh, when you're competing in these classrooms, but it's the pressure of that you've hit, built back home. Um, it's the pressure that I feel for my entire community. I come from a low income background. Um, I come from a background where many people don't are not fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be in a position that I'm in right now. As a matter of fact, I was just having a conversation with someone that I know that was like, I've never even left Baltimore. What is it like to be in Boston? Those are the type of encounters that I experienced. Um, and the pressure of basically being the one, the chosen, not necessarily the one, but the chosen one. Um, whereas though, it's like, why, why me? Why am I in this position? Why, why, why pick me uh, to, to, to be the one for my community? Um, and then it's like a feeling of separation when you do go on and you do something big, uh, whereas though your community tend, tend to turn that back on you. Um, and that's something that I've been I've been experiencing lately as well, uh, whereas though I go home and some of my old friends from back home are not necessarily my friends anymore. And they think that I've changed or switched on them. But only the only thing I did was try to get my own education. That was my main thing when I came into the school. I know I had a scholarship to play sports and I'm and I and I'm 
and I'm certain that I wouldn't be in school if I didn't have the talent to play sports. Um, but my main focus, my main thing was to make sure I get as much of an education as I could possibly get, um, hence my major. And then to feel as though I owe, I owe it all back to my community. Um, I owe it all back to my neighborhood. I I have to, just like um, W.E.D. Du Bois, he wrote The Talented Tenth. If y'all familiar with The Talented Tenth, it's a great reading. Um, the Talented Tenth basically says that we're going to take a tenth of the Black population of minorities, and they're going to they're going to train them up to be lawyers, doctors, engineers, the greatest. And they're going to go back to their communities, and they're going to train up the next group, and they're going to keep doing it, and it's going to be an endless cycle. I feel as though I'm living the Talented Tenth right now, and that's something that I just don't not necessarily don't want to to live, but it's just a another un it's just another pressure um of what I what am I gonna do for Baltimore um when it's all said and done. But yeah. I understand what you're saying, Derek, with the pressure. I have a six-year-old brother and a 13-year-old sister. And every day I try my hardest to reach out to them and tell them what I'm doing here so they don't feel that they can't do what I'm doing because I go to a predominantly white, you know, college. Um, Where I'm from in Neptune, New Jersey, the teachers, they don't care. They tell you that the best that you're going to do is go to the community college that's 20 minutes down the road or even just across the street. And just to like get out And to be like, hey, I'm here doing this. Like in my first year, I'm already an RA for next year. Like that's pretty big because in my town, you're either a drug dealer or you end up in jail somewhere or you're a murderer. And I just want not just my siblings, but my old classmates, my old teachers to stop thinking that way and to think that you are a person. You can go above and beyond. You can get your scholarship. You can get your education. You can play sports. You can do whatever you want. Um, And nobody can tell you no. I've been told no multiple times that I couldn't do band and track at the same time, but I'm here doing that plus so much more and still getting my education. So I feel that not only just for myself and for my family, that every little black boy, every little black girl, every little black person, um, because there are non-binary people out there, that you can do what you want. And I push that on my siblings every time I talk to them because I know that their teachers are telling them the same thing that they told me and it, it all starts with the younger ones. And it also starts with us as well. Tell them, sh- tell them, show them and do what you want so they can do what they want and push more towards this divide that we have in America, because it's, it's, it's got to start with us. It's not just going to happen overnight. Um, and even being in a small private Catholic college. It starts with me. It starts with you, Derek. It starts with you, Gabby, and you as well, uh, Dr. Makaro. I think I said your name wrong, but all, all together collectively, you know, we have to 
work together, create the diversity and just keep pushing because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jackson, for being, again, completely open and honest and, and very, very real in what you're saying. And, and you too, Derek, this, is, this has been incredible. Um, before we close, I want to give everyone a chance to plug their things, tell everyone what they're doing and where they can find you or where they can find the amazing stuff that you all work on because you all are super involved and it's just insane in everything that you all do in, in, the, in the best way possible. So Gabby, what, what, what's going on? Where can they find you? What do you have going on? Thanks, Michael. Um, so what I want to say first before I start plugging away um, is that I think that what we're all discussing kind of boils down to the... Um, the saying that has kind of become cliche now, uh, representation matters, right? So one of the plugs I wanna give because of that is for Merrimack College Professionals of Color, which is a group that was created by Peter Rojas, Rosanna Urbeas, and Lisbeth Valdez um, to create a support group kind of for faculty and staff of color. We come together and we support one another and, and we also hope to um, connect with students of color and, and show them that we're here. I know that it seems like uh, it's hard to find us, but I'll let you know right now, I'm in the first floor of the library. If you just want to see a friendly face or you need any help, you can come see me at the front desk, okay? So another thing I want to plug because of that is the library's resources. I create a lot of the displays and such, um, and the displays this year are going to be connected to um, resources that are going to be also online. So I created a Black History Month research guide, and that has resources both online and in person. Um, I also created the anti-racism guide uh, that's available on our website as well. So I, I would like you all to stay tuned for the upcoming Affinity Month uh, pages as well, because I'm going to keep this going all year long. Um, and alongside that, on a more personal note, I want to plug my new Instagram account um, that I, I promote diverse reads on. So uh, I'm a big reader, obviously, as a librarian, but also as a historian. So my work, uh, the work that I usually read is a, a mixture between um, non-fiction history stuff, uh, historical fiction, and then more fun stuff kind of like young adult books and, and romance and such. Um, so I kind of mix it up. And you can follow me on Instagram at bookish underscore Afro-Latina. Um, so I'll be doing a uh, talk today. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be too late, but I'll share the video. Um, and it'll be about how Black history is American history and uh, George Washington and the woman he enslaved, um, Ona Judge. Thank you. No, thank you. Uh, Dr. Butler Macoro, what is, what, where can they find you? What do you have going on? Any major events? Um, I don't have not a thing going on. Let me just say that. Um, all the young people are doing all the things and I'm just gonna run around and support all of them. I'm waiting for the sports to start so I can stand in the uh, cheer in the stands and cheer for everyone. I'm supporting Gabby and her work. I'm supporting MPOC. I'm building a new graduate program. So if anyone is graduating and interested in a social justice equity-based graduate program, come see me, come earn your MSW degree at Merrimack College. Um, I can't say how grateful I am for being included in this and getting to know um, 
some of the young scholars of color on our campus better. My heart is just full. And you all, I have <clears throat> a 10-year-old and you all are role modeling for my 10-year-old um, what it's like to be in the space that you're in. And so I'm just appreciative um, to be here with, um, with you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Derek, where can they find you? What do you have going on? Um, hey, uh, uh, you guys can find me. I work in IT, so I'm on the first floor. I'm pretty much there all the time. You can find me in Mendel. Um, or you can check in with Nesby. Uh, I'm the treasure, current treasurer right now of Nesby. Um, or you can reach out to my chapter, um, uh, 17th, House of, 17th House Alphas on Instagram. Or you can follow my uh, personal Instagram account. I hate my username. <laughs> it's D-E-Y-L-O-V-E underscore Derek. Um, and yeah, those are the different places where you can uh, find me. Uh, or and my email is all, also harrisde at merrimack.edu. Uh, some things that I'm really into is financial literacy. So we can talk about stock market. Uh, we can talk about mentoring. We can talk about uh, model aircrafts, whatever it is. Uh, I just want to be a resource for anyone um, that may be experiencing something that I may have spoken about um, because I just want to be there to help you and let you know that you're not alone. No, Derek, you've been awesome. And no, you, you're, you're an awesome resource. So I, I really do hope that people reach out to you. And of course, finally, last but not least, Jackson, where can they find you? You're going to be around for several years. You got any track meets coming up? What, what, where can they find you? Um, you can find me practically everywhere and anywhere. Um, we do have a home track meet in April. Um, I'm not too hundred percent sure if we're allowed to, uh, have visitors yet, but I will definitely let Michael know. And if anybody wants to come out and watch, you definitely can. Uh, the date has not been set yet, but it is in April. You can follow me on Instagram. My personal Instagram is oxymoron, O-X-Y-M-O-R-O-N dot J-F-O. Um, I'm everywhere. I'm on the track. I'm at the Rogers Center. You can find me at the sack stuffing my face with, um, you know, anything, preferably ice cream. Um, and I'm also a Monacan, 114, you know, stop on by. Let me know if you're outside. We can go for a walk. All right. Awesome. No, I want to thank you all for joining me and being a part of this. Um, this has been absolutely incredible. And I want to thank everyone also for listening at home, in the car, wherever you're at. Thank you for listening to Living Out Loud. And um, we'll check you back here next episode. Got an idea for an episode or want to join our team? Email us at livingoutloud at merrimack.edu. Executive producers are Deborah Michaels and Tiffany Begensterns. Audio engineering and editing by Michael Senoff. Living Out Loud is made possible with the generous support of a Provost Innovation Grant and assistance from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning.